0: Wow, is it warm outside or what? A few weeks ago, one of you told me, yesterday was a three shower day. I like that metric, which neatly incorporates both heat and humidity. I mention it now because we all know that showering isn't something that we're done with once we've done it once it is like eating breakfast and prayer something that we need to do frequently and on a regular basis and prayer shares with showering the characteristic that the higher the temperature and the humidity the more often we need it I'm not saying that cooler days require less prayer but when the pressure cooker of life heats up and the commitments pile on and the stress starts to build That's when we need to pray more, not less. Prayer is an essential, not an expendable luxury. Once we've learned it, we need to continue to relearn it, as we're doing today, as we take our place among Jesus' disciples in our Gospel lesson from Luke chapter 11. In 1994, InterVarsity Press published a book by Bill Hybels, then pastor of Willow Creek Community Church in Barrington, Illinois, entitled, Too Busy Not to Pray. And I like that title because it reminds us of what Jesus assumes when he talks to his disciples about prayer. In verse 2 of today's gospel lesson, Jesus begins to teach his disciples, saying, When you pray... It's not, should you ever decide to give prayer a try? Or, should you ever be at a dinner with religious people and need to come up with a prayer on the fly? Here's one that's often done me a bit of good. Jesus does not treat prayer as an emergency provision to have ready in case disaster strikes and you have no one to turn to but God. Prayer is not a last resort, but a first priority. As the book title suggests, prayer is not something that we fit into our schedules. That's something that we form our schedules around. Left to our own devices, we naturally spend our time on activities of varying importance and some that are downright harmful. In most American homes, television is a common sponge, ready to absorb any time that we haven't otherwise allocated. The phrases, I was flipping through the channels, or I was surfing the net, are red flags that may indicate the opportunity to put time to better use. Christians pray. Planned, regular times of prayer are an essential part of a healthy spiritual diet. When Martin Luther, after visiting several congregations in Saxony in 1528, realized that many parishioners lacked even a basic understanding of what Christians believe and do, he wrote a handbook in question-and-answer form, outlining the basics of Christian theology and practice from which any parishioner who could read them could learn and teach their family. We now call it Luther's Small Catechism and use it as a basic teaching tool in the preparation of candidates for church membership. In the Catechism, Luther includes prayers for daily use, morning and evening, and at mealtimes. Of course, these aren't the only prayers we can ever say, but it provides a schedule with examples of prayers to use. One size need not fit all, but it's a place to start. And with the manifold distractions in our lives, many of us need just that, again and again, to learn and relearn it. In today's gospel lesson, Jesus gives his disciples a model prayer, which, combined with a similar prayer in Matthew chapter 6 verses 9 through 13, form the basis of what today we call the Lord's Prayer. If you'd like to learn more about how to use the Lord's Prayer as a model for your own praying, you can do that by listening online to my homily on the Lord's Prayer from March 26th, 2014. And if you're looking for other prayers, we have lots of resources. Hymns can often be prayed. In the Lutheran Book of Worship, the first 50 pages before the hymns are mostly prayers. Other resources include devotional works like John Bailey's A Diary of Private Prayer and liturgical ones like The Book of Common Prayer. As the Lord's Prayer shows us, prayers need not be elaborate. In prayer, as in so much else, simplicity and honesty are virtues. Less important than finding just the right words to pray is simply that we do pray day in and day out, whether we feel like it or not. Our prayers don't always need to be heartfelt. Indeed, prayer can stimulate our dormant emotions and tune our chaotic ones to God's will. Allow me an aside just for a moment. It is important not to think too little of prayer, about which I'll say a little more in a minute. It's also important to recognize that prayer is but one thing that Christians do, not the only thing. God also gives us other gifts, and we ought not use prayer as an excuse for stinginess with those other gifts. For example, when my brother and sister-in-law adopted their children, people at their church promised lots of prayer. It was their non-Christian friends who came through with dinners and babysitting. A praying community can hopefully also be a dinner-bringing, babysitting community. A community generous with all its gifts, even those that require getting out of bed, out of our routines, and out of our comfort zones. Prayer and concrete acts of mercy are to complement rather than substitute for each other in church life. Of course, not everyone can do everything, but our corporate ministry should be multifaceted. And now the flip side, which is also true. Sometimes people poo-poo prayer as a worthless gesture and consider it mere virtue signaling. We should never adopt nor condone that cynical attitude. Praying is not an alternative to doing good works. Praying is a good work. And we should take it as seriously as any other important endeavor that we undertake. In Philippians 4 verse 6, the Apostle Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Prayer that is habitual is prayer by which we grow. And the goal is not to convince God to give us what we desire, but instead to commit our desires to God, acknowledging Him as the source of every good gift. When I see a book title like Prayer That Gets Results, I wonder, for whom are those prayers intended? Are they for people who think that they know better than God what the results ought to be? Are they prayers to use on a God whose attention has wandered and needs special words from us to reinterest himself in our affairs? Are they prayers to be used as ammunition to fire at whatever problem we're facing rather than simply presenting our requests to God? None of those kinds of prayer is Christian prayer. When hearing today's gospel lesson, it's important for us to realize that the man persuaded to get out of bed by his friend's persistence is not a model of God. He is a model of us, to which Jesus contrasts God in verse 13. God does not have business hours, outside of which he charges us a premium for his attention. We know from Psalm 121, verse 4, that he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Christians do not pray as a kind of incantation to charm God into doing what we want. Instead, we pray trusting that God hears us, knows what's good for us, and has all things in his hands. Following the example of Jesus in the Lord's Prayer and also in his Passion on the Mount of Olives recorded in Luke 22, verse 42, we pray not, My will be done, but Thy will be done. That picture of Jesus asking God to remove the cup of suffering from him on the Mount of Olives is an important one for us to keep in mind when we read verses 9 and 10 in today's gospel lesson. In those verses, Jesus tells his disciples, ask and it will be given you, search and you will find, knock and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives, and everyone who searches, finds, and for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. To the ears of those of us who have prayed for healing, for conversion, for any kind of positive result that has not come about, Jesus' words can sound trite and devastating. We may wonder, did we not ask politely enough or persistently enough? Did we not search thoroughly enough or knock loudly enough? Did we use the wrong words or offer God the wrong kinds of gifts? Is God punishing us for something that we've done? These questions are natural. And if you ask them, know that you are not alone. I wonder continually continually about what God has in mind in lots of situations in my own life and those that I see and hear about around the world. For instance, I'd like not to be a chronic sinner. I'd like to live in a world without pain. It's okay that we don't have all the answers. As finite creatures, we shouldn't expect to understand everything that happens. We pray not to convince God of what is good, but because God is trustworthy, and we can trust Him not only with our requests, but also with our doubts. When we pray, and especially in difficult circumstances, We can remember that our Lord Jesus, who taught us to pray, walked the talk. He knows what it is to suffer, to pray, and then to feel abandoned by God. He knows what it is not to receive that for which we've asked. He knows what it's like to knock, only to see some other door, one of suffering and death, opened. Jesus speaks his words in verses 9 and 10, not to give us false hope or to discourage us, but to assure us that our Heavenly Father really does know best, that we can trust him with our requests, however big or small. That doesn't mean that everything that happens is going to be good, or that we need to accept whatever horrible thing is going on as God's will. Prayer is not acquiescence, but it is handover. In prayer, we hand things over to God, our troubles and our cares. We reenact being handed over to God in baptism, of going from being lo ruhama, which in Hebrew means not pitied, and lo ami, which means not my people, to being children of the living God. Praying reminds us that we are His and that the world is His. We need not fear nor worry about the future, the present, or the past, for we are in God's good hands. Thanks be to God.